Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know what you have done Well, good evening, everybody. I'd like to welcome you to the Stop Child Abuse Now talk radio show sponsored by NASCA, which stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. This is scan number 3,288. Tonight is October 11th, 2023, and my name is Penelope Bennett. I am from Sarasota, Florida. I'm a member of NASCA, and I'm also an adult survivor of child abuse. Uh, My host team this evening will be my NASCA sister and dear friend, Dr. Nancy Brown-Willis, who will be joining us in a moment. But tonight's topic night, I've got a great topic uh, picked out. For us to discuss, so please, please, if you're listening, call in and join the panel so we can have a robust discussion. Uh, The number to call is area code 646-595-2118. Again, that number is area code 646-595-2118, and uh, we will bring you into the show um, just by calling in that number. You'll have an opportunity to participate in the discussion or ask a question related to our mission statement because, as you know, NASCA is all about child abuse, trauma prevention, intervention, and recovery. Our NASCA mission statement is as follows. We have a single purpose at NASCA. It's to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. The first goal is educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. The second goal, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. There's so much information and so many resources available on our website, which is www.nasca, which is N-A-A-S-C-A dot O-R-G. Everything you ever wish to know about resources or information regarding our mission is on the website. And I'm very thankful for that. So tonight, 
um, it is an open forum discussion, and I would encourage you to call in so we can have one. Otherwise, Dr. Nancy and I will just be having a conversation amongst ourselves. But one of the things that is, you know, obviously, uh, if you're an adult survivor of child abuse, um, you are uh, aware that it is um, recovery is a, a journey and is ongoing. And I'm experiencing that um, myself in, in my recovery. And I really do appreciate um, my NASCA family because I have a place to go and discuss um, my recovery and different um, elements of my recovery that are currently um, on my mind or on my plate or things that I'm, I'm working through. And my question tonight for us for discussion is, as a child within the home, um, you were obviously hurt. Um, there was maltreatment. As an adult, are you comfortable going back to that childhood home? Perhaps you have family members that still live there. Um, perhaps you have uh, friends that live nearby, some childhood that you wish to see. But is that a place in your recovery um, that you've been able to revisit? Or is uh, part of your recovery um, uh, not um, going back um, to the venue in which some of the abuse occurred? So, um, something that I struggle with. Um, I was born and raised in California, and I still have friends and family in the small city where I was raised and some family in, in the same home I was raised. And uh, something that uh, I still um, work through um, is, uh, do you go home again, is the question. So please call in. If you have any experience in working through this issue or you wish to discuss um, this uh, topic, the number to call in is area code 646-595-2118. Again, that's area code 646-595-2118. And I can see area code 617. Hello. Good evening. Good evening, Dr. Nancy. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you. So I was just posing a question on a topic that is uh, something that in my recovery I'm, I'm, I'm working through. And um, wondering if I can share that with you and see if we can share some thoughts. Um, exchange some thoughts on the topic. And, and yeah. that is, um, in your recovery as an adult survivor of child abuse, have you been able to or should you go or what are your thoughts on going back to the venue, to the home or location where your abuse occurred? if you still have friends living nearby or family still living in the home? Um, have you had that experience of 
either being pressured to go home again or um, feeling the need to go back there again or um, or deciding never to go back there again. I'm, I'm just curious as to when this has this come up or say a family member passes away and there's a funeral, um, how you've um, navigated through that um, issue. Um, it's interesting you say that. I haven't gone through that place, that home, because um, I think they got rid of that home years ago, many, many, many years ago. Maybe they sold it. I have no idea what happened. I don't know if they were renting it, and then they moved because I was five years old when they had it, but uh, they're nowhere near that place. But I go through it in my mind. Um, You know, I remember Mm -hmm. the room, the bathroom, you know, the the, the different Mm -hmm. Uh, the living room outside, playing with the uh, with the chickens or the little baby chicks and stuff like that. So I visit mm-hmm. the home a lot. As a matter of fact, even talking about it now, I have the full, clear visual of it. But um, I've had to, uh, excuse me, when I go back to my country, be around the abuser. And that's kind of like visiting a place of the abuse because it's a person who create who mm-hmm. caused that abuse, and um and it's all it's it's, it's uncomfortable, um it's awkward, um it's unsettling, you know um it definitely did not. Uh, it doesn't feel good. It's definitely not a safe not a safe place. Mhm. Yeah. Please let me. I'll check on this call. You finish that thought. I'll be right back. Sure. So that's a great uh, point, and and I think obviously the most for me paramount in my own recovery is that I've been able to reparent. We're we're able to reparent ourselves, and. Um, the part of me that's the parent um, that is protective and never had that protection growing up. And there's a part that is uh, protective and that does not want to subject, talking about the issue of safety, Dr. Nancy, that you brought up. And, and just, I have, you know, I have my own inner parent now. Um, I'm, I'm my own parent and I am a very, um, protective parent of myself, and I am good, I've become very good at making sure that I do not put myself in harm's way, um, physically, verbally, you know, emotionally, and you brought up, you know, it may not be a place, it may be a person, you know, and being subjected to, um, it's harmful, it's harmful, Um Yeah. And, uh, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. That's that's a good point that you bring up about um, identifying people or places as an adult in recovery that are that are safe. And to me, safe is a place where I can be well that I can be well, that I can keep myself um, in a state of wellness. 
and not in a state of um, fight or flight. Because I do find mm. myself becoming, um, when I think about the family home, when I think about um, those people that um, abused me within the family, um, I don't, to your point, if I think about them, it doesn't need, I don't need to go back to California. Um, I have that same feeling of absolute fear mm. um, because it's unpredictable, un- right. unpre- unpredictable. And potentially I'm, volatile. No. I can um, relate, obviously, with a lot of women. So I have one of my um, sisters in the Lord here uh, tuning in with us. She's listening in. Her name is Eugenia. So do you mind posting that question again? Just so cause she just came in. And so I would love to hear you put but uh, I, she didn't hear the question. So if you can just post that, that was a good question. So, Eugenia, the question is, you know, as an adult, we're adults now, adult survivors of child abuse, um, what are your thoughts on going either back to the venue, to the home or to the place where the maltreatment took place um, when you were a child, or going to or being around the, the person or people uh, that harmed you um, to to be asked to go to a situation where you would be back in their presence, whether it's you know at the physical location or at a different location of where the abuse initially started, but but really it's more about subjecting the self back into the scene where all the major players or some of the major players are present. Um, and mm-hmm. and and as an adult survivor and in recovery. Um, what are your uh, thoughts on that? How have you worked through that issue that's come up? Um, how have you navigated through that? Because, um, and I brought it because it's something that I struggle. I I'm still struggling with. Um, um, do I stay or do I go? <laughs> Don't want to quote the song, but do I stay or do I go? Um, and uh, yeah. It's it to be black and white, but for me, there are a lot of different shades of gray. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that question. I, I think that uh, for me, hello, everyone. My name is Eugenia, um, and um, I am definitely um, an overcomer um, of, of my abuse or the abuse that I experienced um, as a child. Um, my first experience that I can remember I was nine years old um, and what so what happens is for me all of my encounters were family related so when you ask what is it like or have you ever had to go back to the place of all the time <laughs> I, I don't think that there was a season in my life where um, I did not have to encounter those people again because it was something that I never talked about. It was, you know, a chapter, I I wrote a book called Get Your Life, and one of the chapters was Don't Tell. And, you know, that that also that phrase, what happens in this house stays in this house. So I grew up um, with that that embedded in my head. So a lot of people didn't know what happened to me, didn't know what happened with me, or some people assumed it, right? Um, And we just didn't talk about it. Um, So one of the places that I had to go to was, was my aunt's house, um, and I, I visit this place often. This is where the family tends to 
go to when they come up from the south and different areas and where they're coming from, and I can still remember the location, you know, those sensories don't leave you, right? You can still remember sometimes the smell. You remember your sense, your senses are heightened when you when you are back in the place of your abuse. And um, for me, what has empowered me, and I used to be super, super deep, but my, my faith and my relationship with God has definitely helped me to uh, navigate having to revisit those places. I just pray. Like, God, please help me today. Like, please, you know, give me what I need to endure, why I'm having to show up here again. Um, and throughout the year, that has really been my prayer. And the more I go, the, the more I go, the stronger um, I was able to become. And I think that um, I think that everybody may not have that same um that same story i won't say you don't have the same grace i believe that we all have the same grace to actually encounter but you have to know your why right um and i believe that for me it was important for me to be able to revisit those places because of where um i was supposed to be going in my ministry and in purpose of my life that i need to be able to tell other young children to not fear what tries to hinder you from growing and, and pursuing your purpose. And sometimes you have to go back to those areas of abuse. One of the most difficult things, if I, if I can be completely honest with you all, is um, one of the abusers um, that I experienced, because I encountered many, uh, but one of the abusers was a really, really close uh, family member, um, and I had to be in their presence um, this past can you can you also hear me okay? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I had to encounter um, him again, and not out of the norm, right? But this time, my aunt asked for me to take a picture with the person, and that triggered me because I never had to be that close. We could be in the same room, you know, make eye contact and all these different things, um, but never having to take a picture. Um, that that seemed, you know, to me, that was like a very, very strong triggering moment for me. And then as I'm acting out what to do in that less than three seconds, but it seemed like a lifetime to me, um, I said to myself in that moment, I'm going to take this picture to us for me to always remember that I'm not that little girl anymore and that I was able to actually um, grow from there. So anytime that that comes back in my mind, if I ever see this picture, I see the person that I have become despite the abuse and despite what tried to keep me from becoming who I was destined and purposed to be. So um, that was a level that I kind of um, processed and and was able to deal with for the very first time. And I was proud of myself for being able to Mm -hmm. see um, you know, that that was a level and an area of maturation that had to happen for me because it, I never experienced it. And I had to be honest with that emotional state that I was in in that moment, that it was very difficult. But even in that, I found strength because I've been allowing myself to be empowered all these years. So I won't allow this moment to bring me back to that childhood. I'm a grown woman today. And I have experienced those things. I have lived those things. But I am not those things. I am not a victim. I am an overcomer. So I walk with that posture, and, and I had to experience that test um, so that I'll be able to have this testimony that I overcame even that. And if I can do it, 
um, you know, with the help of God and, and, and with the help of you, you just having the right source and right people around you, you can do it too. Do you have to? No. And I think that that's very important for you, everyone to understand as well. You don't have to revisit those places. You don't have to go back into those encounters, into those spaces, unless it's purposeful. So know the purpose for it. Mm, wow. Wow. Thank you. That was powerful. Unless it's purposeful. Wow. That was very you know, powerful. That's... Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I'm being, you know, I'm being summoned to go back um, to the um, home where I was born and raised, where all the abuse transpired over decades, um, extreme abuse, um, sexual, physical, emotional, mental. And the purpose is for the sake of appearances. Um, I'm being asked to come because it does not look good that I have spoken out. Like you had said, Eugene, everything was supposed to be never spoken of in the home. No one was supposed to know. You know, you could, couldn't speak of the, the things going on in the home. You know, everything had to look good. Appearances were paramount, and we were, you, know, you need to be part of, of, the, of, the, of the tribe that um, carried the flag for the appearance, for appearance's sake. So because I have been the one to speak out and stop the cycle, um, I have, in a sense, been shunned. Um, I felt, you know, the, but on the other hand, there's the appearances side um, from the family members that sort of reside there that it just doesn't, doesn't look good that someone's no longer carrying the company flag, if that makes sense. So the purpose would be for the sake of appearances um, that everything's back to the way it was. Does that make sense? That's horrible. Yeah. How do you feel about that? That that absolutely does make sense. Can everyone hear me? Yes. Yeah, it it does make sense um, as far as, what you're saying the expectation is or what the purpose seems to be, but you don't owe anybody that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is very important to me to understand what, what my value, what my worth is and what my peace Mm -hmm. is worth. Right. So if if Mm -hmm. it doesn't bring me peace and it doesn't present purpose, I cannot be a part. Um, and, And it's not, I can't be, and do because for appearance sake, I showed up while I was being abused as a child. I kept showing up because mm-hmm. it was expected for me to be here. So I can't keep living those, those, those regimented behaviors because it's not producing anything positive. So I have to say no, and no is a complete sentence. I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. doing it because it's not mm-hmm. purposeful. And if it's going to re it's going to cause me to relive something and not for me to, 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 grow from it and, and, and see the good or to see the glory or to see whatever is intended for me to see that's purposeful from it, then I'm not going to subject myself back to, back to that place because it doesn't, it doesn't bring anything positive to my life or anyone that I'm connected to. Because what if I shut down? Who is that going to affect that I'm actually being a source of help to in my present moment? 
Mm-hmm. So I, I can't mm-hmm. afford that if it's not going to render something that is purposeful and fruitful. So I have to say and know when to when to present that no, and and know that that no is a full sentence and it's completely okay. So it, it really is Love about that. your self preservation. It really is about your self value, your self worth. It really is about the self, right? And knowing mm-hmm. the purpose in it, because I don't believe that God will put you in something, me personally, and not have a purpose for you being in it. So if you're if you can't go back to it and it and it renders something fruitful, then I don't believe that you're intended to go back. There, there is a way that we're supposed to keep moving forward and never look back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Can I say something? Um, and I kept saying, like when I was listening to when I was listening to you share that, you know, I just kept feeling like, why do you have to relive the abuse? Why it, it sounds like, you know, you're being forced to relive this abuse, and that alone is abuse. That's like being abused again and again, yeah. being forced to relive a painful time for the sake of appearances for others. It's like you're being forced to do something you don't want. That's abuse. At this point now, as adults, should not we should not have to feel forced to do something that is hurting us and still have to push through. I, and it's crazy that uh, Ms. Eugenia shared about that picture, taking a picture. I had to take a picture with my abuser, and my body started shaking. This was in 2017 when I released my, my book in Costa Rica. Uh, they told me, yeah, take a picture with him, and he's there trying to pose with me in my book. And I'm like, boy, you you the monster in the book. You don't even know you in the book because the book's in English, you know. So I'm like, oh, Lord, help me. It was just such an awkward moment to live through. And I remember my body started shaking. I was triggered, and I started shaking uncontrollably. I was not in control of my body shaking because of being in that, that close proximity to the abuse. And just like you shared earlier about being in the space of the abuse, in the scene of the abuse, and there's the same thing being in the presence in the scene with the abuse serve. It's, it's mm-hmm. abuse. And, and self-preservation for me, I, I'm sorry, a lot of times there's people that I've had to just say, I'm sorry, I cannot go. Because if it's completely triggering to me and I don't see a benefit, I'm not, I'm not beating the enemy. It's not beneficial. I'm not overcoming. I'm it's breaking me down. It's giving me a, my chest is tight, and I'm having an issue breathing. Because me, my like the body keeps the score. Like the book, my yeah. body starts to have symptoms when I'm going through. Mm-hmm. My body reacts. I I, I, yeah. I can't breathe. It's a whole situation for me. So I know that about myself. So for me, I'd rather not put myself in the place or the environment or the time, the situation, none of it. Do you feel forced? Like, do you feel like you kind of have to go? You don't want to disappoint your your mom, your your dad, your family. Like, I'm not sure who's the person, but um, what what where you at with that? So this is Penelope. For for me, it's it's my mother, um, and it's it's being guilted. It's being guilted, um, and it's. It's being guilted. I, so for some background, I went back. My father passed away, um, and Nan, Dr. Nancy knows my father, um, and my, my parents were my primary abusers. 
And uh, my father passed away and pretty suddenly and unexpectedly um, in August of 2017. And uh, I was down there um, while he was sick. And we were all in a state of shock because it was so fast. So um, it was sort of going through the motions, um, going through the funeral. Um, and then I came back, that was August, November, um, to go um, see my mother with my family. And, of course, I set up as myself after, rec- during, you know, post-recovery, you know, post-doing the work. Uh, I wasn't that little girl anymore. And um, so I stood, I, I came with Eugene, you said, with, with purpose, you know, with um, not being afraid to walk in my own truth, um, break the silence in a loving way, but in a purposeful way, um, because I love my family and I want my, the intention, the purpose has been to stop the pain and the hurt, um, and to be a change agent in a loving way. Um, I was thrown out of the home. Uh, my children observed that I was thrown out, um, I went again with my family um, in that Christmas, that December of 2017, and I was thrown out again. It was the the the, reco- the, the recovered the my myself, the new self of, of this makes sense for me. I'm my recovery. I've become the person I was supposed to have become. I'm a completely different person. So. Um, that new person who showed up, the per- the one with the purpose, was thrown out again um, with my family, told to leave. Um, and so that, that I have not been back because that's abuse. I have not been back since then. And I'm being summoned to come back out of, it doesn't look good. She's been, you know, she hasn't come back in, in six years. Um, so it's the, the intent is just guilt. Um, sorry to you, guilt. Yeah, I'm sorry you're dealing with that. Go ahead. And I, I, I will say to yeah. that. Oh, I'm sorry. What's What's your name? Oh, Penelope. Penelope. Yes, I, I'm Eugenia. I, I I just wanted to put a name to just so I know what to pray for. Um, but I would say to that um, that you do not have to subject yourself to repeated offense. Um, and it's it's very important to understand that you you tried to present yourself and to show up and you were rejected, um, and then they're asking you to come back for their sake, but not to reconcile or bring any kind of um, restoration to the family. Um, and if that's not the intent or the purpose, and you cannot identify the intent of the, and the purpose of it then I personally believe that um, you should really weigh the pros and cons of your presence. Um, And at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, you have to be able to say, um, I'm creating this boundary and and Mm -hmm. knowing that you can love your family from a distance. um, And and loving them sometimes means 
showing them that you don't have the right to mistreat me anymore. And so I'm preserving my peace. I'm preserving my space mm-hmm. until you all realize the damage that you have tried to cause to me. And so now I have to, to start my own journey. And, and loving, loving you means uh, me knowing that I can't be in this space because it's going to cause me to relive and rehash and feel that anger and feel that animosity and feel that triggering that's not going to produce anything positive um, because the way you respond to me, right? So it, it kind of is mm-hmm. um, a reaction to what it is that's being done to you again in a different way. And you do not, yeah. like Dr. Nancy said, you don't have to relive abuse. You don't. Right. So um, know your why, right? Understand that and, and be able to weigh the pros and cons of it. You owe no one nothing. And, and preserve yourself, preserve your peace, preserve your space, and create boundaries. Mm-hmm. If your mother wants to see you or she wants to see you she and you feel that you're, you want to see her, then, then create a space for you and her. That doesn't mean you have to be in the presence of everyone, right? And if you are going right. to go back to this place, then say, I will come as long as these people are not present. And if you can't respect that, don't expect me, right, because that's creating boundaries. So I think that's something that um, that we all have to at some point learn to do because it's very difficult when it's family-oriented. Um, so I, I believe that's a challenge, but it's possible when you put yourself first. And we don't do that. Usually people that have been offended, we don't put ourselves first because now we're in savior mode. We want to save people that look like us, that dealt with the things that we dealt with, that experienced the thing. We want to keep young people from going through what we've been through. We, we did develop a savior complex so that nobody has to experience what we've experienced, but we forget to save ourselves. That's an excellent point. Excellent point. You know, boundaries, <clears throat> I think sometimes when you've been through abuse, Sometimes you have a hard time setting boundaries because you're used to being abused. And so you're used to being a people pleaser and making sure everybody else is happy. And, you know, that's like, it just becomes a part of your life. Once you've been broken down to that low level of of disrespect and abuse at such a young age, it's really hard kind of sometimes to get out of that hole because you're still dealing with that child within. Like, you still um, struggle with with boundaries. So it's something that we encourage others to do. We're good with helping other people set healthy boundaries, but sometimes with our own selves, um, we struggle setting healthy boundaries, especially with our family. Like, you know, if there's people that we care about and we love, uh, we struggle setting those healthy boundaries. But just uh, like like it was shared earlier, it's so important to have that self-preservation where, you know, you know, you, you got to put yourself first. You got to love yourself first and respect yourself first and and really um, make that choice to to put you first. That's hard but we have to do it. Yeah, I I completely agree. It it is it is hard um sometimes because it feels um what's the word? luxury it's like a luxury, right? Where it should just be uh it's not a luxury. Um it's it's self-care. Uh, I, but I feel like sometimes I feel like I'm overspending. Um, 
but that's part of the pro- the journey, right? Is to to work work on that and work through that. But you know, interesting, um, Eugenia, you mentioned um, in, in for me especially what rang a bell is at the very beginning. You know, going through. Um, all of the um, therapy and talking about for the first time all of the events that happened to me as a child and realizing uh, the power of breaking the silence, um, breaking the cycle, and of course feeling you know so much better, freeing myself from um, from the prison of suppressing the truth. You know, yes, you want to share that with those family members that were present um, with you, siblings, you know, even parents, when you realize that the cycle, you know, didn't start with them um, and you begin to see um, the generational um, aspect of uh, the cycle running through the generations. And so I was very much in the beginning um, in the savior mode and you brought that up and part of my recovery is I finally realized that I can invite, I can send the invitation by sharing the truth um, and doing the work, um, but I can't save anybody. You know, it's just, it's by invitation and some invitations are acknowledged and accepted and some invitations are just thrown away. Um, You can keep inviting, um, but you can't force anyone to accept an invitation unless they're willing. Um, and so I had to realize that and then realize that was, that was the entry into, into setting boundaries as well for myself and for others. So as Dr. Nancy said, it is, it is difficult. <laughs> it is difficult when it's family sometimes to, to set boundaries. It doesn't feel comfortable. Especially when the boundaries are not respected. Absolutely, um, and and the first the first invitation, I believe, has to be an invitation to self to say to myself, "I invite you to a place of healing and peace," and um, to accept that invitation. Um, one of the things that I've challenged myself to do. Uh, just by way of exercise, because, you know, we have exercises that we do. I know Dr. Nancy has some um, that she may recommend as well, but one of the things I challenge myself to do because of the savior complex that I know that I have is that when I fly, um, I ask if I can be one of the people to sit in the emergency exit, and I I do that (laughs) because what what it teaches me is uh, they tell me that I have to put on the stuff first. Wow. And I'm like, you know, in my mind, I got to save this kid or I got to save this elderly person. I got to save the person that, you know, can't swim. And they're teaching me to save yourself first. Mm-hmm. And so I challenge myself to be receptive to, oh, gosh, if this really happened, am I going to be able to do it? But I allow them to keep telling me over and over again, and I keep accepting the invitation to be this emergency exit person because when it's time, I have to save myself first. If I don't save myself first, then how can I protect or be a help to anyone else? Yeah. And so that process is tough for me 
um, you know, as well-spoken or whatever it is that I may say to encourage other people, like we just said before, taking that in for for ourselves is the most difficult thing uh, to do because we're so used to being available and saviors, whether we realize it or not, to other people because we don't want them to experience what we've experienced. We don't want them to suffer the way we suffer. Even if the suffering is different, we still view it innately as abuse or we still view it, you know, as something that we don't want anyone to have a trauma about or a trauma from. So we try to save them because it's it's a complex that we've developed. It's the it's the exterior that we put on. It's a yeah. facade uh, to a certain extent that we have that we are stronger than what we are. Um, and and I've I've had to deal with people reminding me that I'm not as strong as I think that I am. And I'm like, I don't who do you you know, who are you supposed to I am? I do I do this, I do that, I do this, but what do you do for you? Mm-hmm. Because having strength and being strong is putting you first. So now I realize that my 80-20 is now looking like 60-40 because I don't know how to preserve me. So that's why I got back into mm-hmm. exercising because it's something I do for me. I got back into, you know, taking time to not have the TV on and to just be still and be silent because I need peace. I need to listen to silence and be comfortable with not answering somebody's message or somebody's call and being in that space. So I think it's all training uh, ground for us and tools for us to learn how to put ourselves first. And I feel like once you get some of those exercises in, the no becomes a little easier. That's just my yeah. personal feeling. What are your um, thoughts, Dr. Neal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, for me, I, I've taken time to feel for the child. Um, part of my healing really dealt with the inner child and taking time to deal and let me – and taking time to feel. What am I feeling right now? How do I feel? Like asking myself, interviewing myself. You know, I know a lot of times we, you know, interview other people and we help walk with them in their journey of healing. But I, I've taken time to to ask myself, how does that make me feel? You know, and I'm 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 at a point personally that I'm very tired of being abused. Um, I'm very exhausted of being abused, and I'm, and sometimes I run out of cheeks to turn. So in order to avoid that, I've removed myself from situations that are going to trigger me. Okay, and. Um, the first part, again, dealing with the inner child and letting myself feel and letting myself have a good cry if I need to. Mm-hmm. That's very But definitely, somebody's background is a little loud. Sorry, y'all. I just wanted to point that out before being recorded. Um, but, you know, allowing myself to feel. So if you guys yeah. have your mic, your mic unmuted, if you guys can mute your mic, if you're not speaking, that would be grateful. Just mute yourself. Um, so, yeah, allow myself to feel and allow myself to Nobody else is going to feel bad for that child because they're moved on with their life. They don't know what that child has experienced. Like I said, I haven't um, had to go back into the home of the abuse, but I go in it in my mind, even again, talking about it right now, I can picture every room. 
I can picture what happened to me in the bathroom. I can picture what happened to me in the bedroom. I can picture the living room. I can picture the kitchen. Um, most of the abuse was in the bathroom or the bedroom. Um, and, yeah, the bathroom and the bedroom. A lot of the abuse. Um, and so, and the shower, by the toilet. I can picture the whole thing. Um, would I want to go back in the house if I did not have to? Mm, no, but I have done it. I have done it to please my family, um, not in that particular home, but like I said, taking the picture with the abuser. I did that because my family was like, oh, take a picture with him, with the book, and da da da. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. That really did trigger me. It had every sensory nerve in my body shaking. I've never felt that in my whole entire life. I've always been very much in control. Uh, and strong, having to be strong. But at that moment, I I could not explain what was going on with my body. My body got triggered. And so anyways, moving forward, practicing saying, how does that make me feel? How will that make me feel? And you know what? There's times that my husband wants to go certain places and hang out with certain family members and stuff, and I say, I'm sorry. You can go ahead. Um, I have this homework to do. I have that. And I don't care what it looks like. I will not force myself because if I know that it's going to affect my spirit, it's going to affect my body, it's going to affect my mind, I'm learning to, just like Ms. Eugenia shared with us earlier, put myself first. Because if I get sick, what's going to happen? All those things affect our bodies, causes disease, and all kind of things. And disease is just this and ease is your body not being at ease, right? And so I have to put myself first. I have to. I don't want to go there. I don't care about appearances because I'm going to be more annoyed and more triggered. So appearances is not going to be good for me. Fully and lovingly step away. Have to. Yep. Well, you know, interestingly, you're right. You met, and you mentioned, you know, how the body, well, the body doesn't forget. You know, the mind might want to forget, but the body keeps the score. And, you know, something that really resonated with me when you said, you know, your body had this response that you'd never, never had such an extreme response um, in the past. And sometimes I feel... For me, because I dissociated in my mind and my body, you know, I didn't even feel the pain that I should have been feeling. Um, that uh, going back and, and relieving those triggers, I'm actually also experiencing the physiological effects um, that I hadn't felt um, during the abuse. And um, I've, 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 I've done enough of that in my work away from the home um, where the abuse occurred. Um, I've, I've done the work and my body's come back to life and I have pain that I should have felt decades earlier. But I tend to, you know, to your point, to go back there as a visceral trigger. Um, is an additional um, infliction of pain that, to me, is not is unnecessary. 
So thank you for sharing your story because um, it's just it's helping me put the pieces together of my own. Yeah, and and you're such a giver. You know, you're you support so many people, you help so many people, and sometimes we forget to kind of take a moment to feel what we're feeling. Like you said, that dissociation. It actually helps us. When you disassociate, you're stronger and you're like, da-da-da, you're able to move on and keep it moving. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But taking a moment to feel, and like I said, having a good cry, all those things are really mm-hmm. healthy because it is healing. When you cry, you release certain hormones. It helps you in your healing and recovery. Taking the time to feel for the child because even if – you may not feel for yourself, but when you really think about the child, you may start crying. Like, that is so sad, you know, because you don't – when people – when I say, oh, I lost this person, okay, I lost my sister to suicide, people go, hey, sorry for your loss. I go, ahead, thanks, and I keep it moving. I don't take a moment to really feel that. Mm-hmm. I, I just take a moment because I just have to be strong keep the moving. But when you really take a moment to feel and to release and to cry and to connect, and to heal, then you start to be stronger. You know what? I'm not accepting this. I'm going to stick up for this child. What would I tell this child today if I was counseling this child? What would I tell this child? What would I do if I had to stick up for that little Penelope, that little girl? You know, what would I do today? No, you don't have to go there. I'm your mom. I'm sticking up for you, and I'm going to tell you, you don't have to be in that presence of that place. You don't deserve that. You don't have to put yourself through that again. Today, you don't deserve that. You never deserve that. But you're not going to allow yourself to go through that because you don't need to be in that place. That place is going to hurt you. It's going to trigger you. And those people are not going to help. It's going to be even worse. You have to be the parent for that child. You have to take control and cover that child. And you have to do it today. Because nobody else, everybody's worrying about themselves. They don't care. They don't know what that child experienced. The only person that knows every detail yeah. of what those I saw is you or that child. The only person that saw what I saw is that child. People don't know what I was forced to do at five years old with my mouth in the shower. Nobody was in there except for me. So guess what? Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Thank you. And the boundary has to be set to protect that child today. Because mm-hmm. you have strength and power. Today you have the power. Back then you didn't have that power. You lost your power. It was taken from you. But today you have so much power. You could say, like our sister Eugenia said earlier, no. Well, exactly. And I think, you know, my body is actually telling me no as well about even the thought of making a plane ticket because I may be working through a decision in my mind and trying to set that boundary, but my fingers will not allow me to go online and make a ticket. Like my body physically will not do it. And to me, there's something to be said for that. Um, 
And also today, um, and maybe this is just timely, but I had um, a repressed memory um, come back into my consciousness um, about this, the 12-year-old little girl, um, 11, I think I was 11, 11 and a half, who noticed um, I had a tumor that grew out of my head. I just felt my head one day, and there was this big, big bubble between my cranium and my right ear, and it just appeared. And I thought, what is this? And so my mother took me to the doctor, and they had to remove it, and it was a tumor. And they biopsied it. I didn't know it was a tumor at the time, although I knew something was wrong because the doctor had pulled my mother aside and they were whispering and he looked very concerned. And then she did not tell me what the concern was and then the pathology report came back that it was a benign tumor. But I just had this repressed memory come back. I had not really thought about that in years, in decades. Um, and I thought, that poor little girl who was 11 and a half years old, she was under so much stress in her life from the abuse that she, a tumor literally grew out of the side of my head. But once my mother was relieved that it was benign, it's like life just, you know, went back to let's just pretend everything's normal and everything's fine. No one ever asked the question, why would an 11 and a half year old little girl develop a tumor, you know, what could have possibly been, you know, uh, been the cause of something like that. Um, and I just felt so bad for that 11 and a half year old little girl who grew a tumor on the side of her head because of the environment that she had been subjected to. And I don't know if the tumor was from stress or because I had been in the physical abuse, trigger warning, trigger warning, thrown across the room and landed on my head several times. Uh, but no one asked the question, was it a, you know, was it a result of blunt force trauma to the brain? Um, but I think there's something, too, about the memories come forward for a reason um, to help guide us. And we be, we're, we're, we're now our own parents, and we're adults enough to, to deal with them and to, to interpret them and to manage them. Because that's pretty intense as far as I'm concerned um, to think about that tumor. Yeah. I wanted to say, um, Penelope, I'm sorry that you even had to go through through those things. Um, I'm just sorry that you had to experience those things. So, you know, an 11-year-old child dealing with a tumor when you really think about it, because we're not dealing with Penelope and adults, even though that still be hard and sad. Dealing with an 11-year-old child dealing with the tumor and then nobody noticing or knowing the silent struggle that you were dealing with mm-hmm. at that level. And um, I'm not surprised. You know, um uh, cancers, even though it's non-benign, but a lot of these these things that manifest in our bodies do come from stress. Mm-hmm. 
And like you said, landing on your head, abuse, I mean, all of that together, it, it would make me think today that it did have something to do with that. From mm-hmm. just from what I'm hearing, I'm like, well, well, hello, you know, mm-hmm. check on that child. But now you have the chance today to check up on that child and stand up for that child. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to put up with that type of abuse on any level and or having to be forced to relive such a painful time of your life, you know. And I think, you know, hey, you, you made the choice yourself because you're an adult today, but you owe it to, I think you owe it to yourself for that little girl. Oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah. I still, I do stand up for her. I, my heart just still bleeds for her, like Dr. Nancy had, had said. And my heart still bleeds for her. And I don't know if a day will go by in my life where I don't get teary-eyed when I think of her. Right. Um, I don't know if there are enough tears in the ocean that would feel, you know, that, um, or there's enough depth in the ocean that could hold all the tears, you know, um, that I still need to cry for that little girl. Um, and, you know, Eugenia, Dr. Nancy, there's this part of me, and I think we all know, you know, we have this inner self, our true self. It's our nature. Um, I call it, you know, this quiet stream that runs within me, and it's really, it's, I'm very... A religious person, it's it's Christ. You know, I've always known that um, that I was loved and that I was meant to be on this earth, and that God um, had me here for a reason. I survived for a purpose. I have never ever um, doubted for a moment that um, I wasn't intentionally here and loved. Um, but there's this part of my inherent self that I know is loving, giving, and forgiving um, within my within my nature. And the one thing that I have um, as an adult, um, I have been determined that what I experienced as a child, the abuse, and the reaction to my to my healing um, from my family of origin. Um, that I will not uh, lose that core part of myself. I will not become angry. I will not become resentful. I will not become bitter. The one thing that abuse cannot take away from me is the very core of who I am. I'm going to remain that very same person, that loving, giving, and forgiving um, person um, who just has to really hold firm and establish her adult boundaries. Um, But that's where, for me, the gray area comes in right? Um, I'm that person. I'm going to remain that person. I'm not going to um, uh, uh, deviate from the core of who I truly am. Um, but it's, that's what I think makes it difficult sometimes to make these decisions about do I stay or do I go? You know, do I, do I see my 88-year-old mother um, 
um, or not. Um, but I think I'm pretty clear on what I'm going to do now. <laughs> but I don't know if that makes sense or not. But to me, that's, that's the difficult part. Um, I have a question. I remain, yes. Sorry. So this um, is it. Are you having a hard time with seeing your mom, or is it other people there that you're having a hard time seeing? Like, who's the person that you may not want, or is it just the place, the home? It's going back to the place. It's just going back to the place. I've I've seen my mother um, since 2017. I saw my mother um, in January. Uh, this year, um, she came to visit me and uh, my family over the holiday. Um, so I have seen her, uh, but of course, it was that was the boundary. It was in my it was in my safe place. It was on in my in my space. Um, it was on my it was really on my terms because it was in my home. Um, it's really the place. I can't go back there. I just can't go back there. So are you open to getting an Airbnb near her so she can make it to the you at the Airbnb where you don't have to go to her home because that way you're still going to see mom and it's not, you know, taken away from seeing her because if something happens to her at her age, you know, you probably have to deal with a little some some form of guilt. So are you willing to probably get an Airbnb close to the home? And not have to physically go and be in the in the room because that's a lot, right? Yeah, thank you for asking that question because the more I think about it, I think it is also my mom because when she visited, I had a, my the buffer was my husband and my children. I don't think I can be alone in a room with my mother. No. So that's real, Eugenia, Miss Eugenia. <laughs> Yes, I'm here. But what's your question? Can I be in the room, uh, the, the room alone? Well, mm-hmm. no. Um, so, yeah. So you said, um, Mr. Nelson, you said that <clears throat> because I had asked, hey, what's your thought about giving an Airbnb and, mm-hmm. you know, getting, and letting your mom come to visit you at the Airbnb. Oh, and yes, then you yes, said, yes. well, you had your family, your husband, your children. Yeah. So it kind of helped you not be awkwardly by yourself with your mom. And that's what kind of got you through. So would they come with you when you go down there? Are they willing to come down? And then y'all have the Airbnb and she comes to visit you all? Or well, where are you at with that, Penelope, just yeah. so that we can hear yeah, no, I would be alone. I'd be alone because my sons are all in their respective colleges. Uh, one's in Dallas, one's in Nashville, one's in Los Angeles, and my husband's in Florida. So I would be me alone in California. And I think, thank you, I think that you nailed it, though, for me. I don't feel safe being alone in a room with her by myself. Yeah. I just don't. And, and I, I feel like that's okay. I honestly... um. I honestly feel like going back to the self-preservation thing that we were talking about, um, you got to put you first. And and that seems, you know, when you're dealing with parents and you're dealing with your mother, um, it's very hard to say no because these people have given you life. You know, you feel indebted. Um, But if it's not going to bring purpose and it's not going to cause you to see 
you know, the good from it. I mean, you're not flying all the way there to be abused again. Um, And I think that for now, consider this, Penelope, start the conversation via phone. Start the conversation via Zoom. Like, let, let it be known that the reason why I'm not comfortable yet is because we have to work through some things that I feel like you were absent for or you are a part of the pain that I, I'm still carrying. And until mm-hmm. there is a level of ownership of that, I don't think that you're obligated to put yourself, and you're not obligated, period, let me say that, but I don't think that you may want to put yourself in those vulnerable spaces again until you know that there's a clear understanding that you offended me. Yeah. There, so there, was, a, there was an offense and there was a breach of contracts between a mother and a daughter here. I don't think mm-hmm. that, um, and I know I'm not a doctor, but just, just reliving some of these things um, that you're, you're saying and you're talking about, we have to acknowledge first that there was a breach in contracts. Um, and and the the breach was not necessarily that you weren't there because sometimes circumstances in life happens, right? But the breach was when I told you you did not defend me. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to assess that. It's okay to put you first and acknowledging that. And I I, I just wonder, you know, what is the the fruit that's going to come out of the reconnection if there is not an acknowledgement of the offense. Mm-hmm. And the too. So a lot of times when when the parents are old school, they just like Lord help me because you said she's what eighty nine or eighty eighty what eighty eight yeah eighty eight yeah yeah eighty eight. Are you about it or do you feel like it's just she doesn't get it? Or oh you don't no, I mean oh no no no. I mean I've done I've done lots of work. I've um. I've uh, written loving letters, um, truthful letters about that breach of contract, uh, how it affected me, um, um, how I've forgiven her, but that I'll have to, you know, be setting boundaries for our relationship. Um, I've done it a very loving way, but I've actually been very uh, um, direct and, and loving. Um, but I've been, to Eugenia's point, I've, I've addressed the breach of contract, and the response has been, um, you're a liar, I don't believe you, I'm not changing, um, you know, um, how dare you um, okay. speak the truth. So all that, that dialogue has happened. Um, hmm. I went to a step further, and, and I have a, two siblings, a younger brother and younger sister, and um, she has, um, as a result, to punish me for having the audacity to speak of these things and, and hold her accountable. Um, she has um, manipulated them and created a, a wedge in the sibling relationship. So I now have one sibling that will speak to me and one sibling that will not respond to me from your mom yeah from my mom so she meted out a punishment basically when i addressed her breach of contract 
So your punishment was she got them against you pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Called me a liar or how dare she have the audacity to say which should not be spoken, you know, break the family code. Um, How about your father? He's dead. No, no. I said she's mad because you spoke against him. Um, Him and her and her. I mean, really, I just addressed her, her um, maltreatment of me directly. Mm-hmm. But part of her, but part of her maltreatment was uh, of me was watching my father molest me from the age of three on, and in the same bed and looking in the other direction. So it didn't include mm-hmm. him, but that was neglect on her part. Um, right. But in her, and you know. She doesn't believe that um, a good and loving but dutiful daughter would ever even have the audacity to say these things, even if they're true. Um, that is where the line has been crossed by me. So See, and now that I'm saying this, I'm sorry. I'm saying this out loud. Yeah, I'm saying this out loud. It sounds so ludicrous. You know, that I would even, um, that this is the truth of what has transpired. And and it's, <clears throat> even though it sounds ludicrous, sometimes you got to speak about it so you can hear so that you can really put it in your spirit and in your mind and say, you know what, maybe, you know, it'll help you to be stronger. To be able to say, mm, that's okay, you know, I'll invite her for the holidays, so I'll invite her down when the kids are, when the family's here, I'll invite her down, and I'm not going to force myself to go there by myself, because it's going to trigger me, it's going to affect my spirit, it's going to affect my soul, it's going to affect my mind, and it's going to affect all the work I put into myself in my recovery, and the fact that she has said, you're a liar, you're not telling the truth, and has manipulated people to even get against you on some of your reality and your truth that you know you have experienced, um, it kind of like, why do you need to put yourself in a hurtful position, especially for somebody who doesn't even have your back? Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. But Eugenia and Dr. Nancy, this is an issue, right, that I I know when we have um, these discussions and we have special guests come on the show and tell their story, being the one to break the silence, you know, the first one in the family or, or, or doing the work, these are the types of things that everybody experience that a lot of us experience. Um, being the one that's been the first or being the one that's ostracized for having the audacity to speak what should not be spoken. I'm not alone in this, I know. I know that I'm not. No. You're actually speaking for many people who are dealing with it right now. Um, But sometimes, you know, they don't have anyone that they can share this situation with. But right now you're being the voice for a lot of people who feel like what you're feeling right now. And thank you for being transparent and thank you for telling your truth. Even if if somebody... Like, okay, that doesn't make sense. Just don't go. No, it's complex. Trauma mm-hmm. is complex. It is complex. 
The only thing I can say with certainty is if I did get on a plane, Eugenia, I'm sitting in the exit row. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a part of my exercise. I mean, you have to sometimes you have to simplify your healing. So yeah. it, it, it really is powerful. Yeah. Something so simple is, is teaching mm-hmm. me to put me first, and it's challenging. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah, because if you're in the exit row and there's an emergency, they say you have to put on your face mask, your oxygen mask first before you can help mm-hmm. someone else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. you putting yourself first. Yeah. So you can, right? So you can yeah. be strong enough to help the rest you, know, to help anybody else that may be in need. Exactly. So sitting exactly. in the exit row, why would you sit in the exit row? To begin with? Yeah, I was curious to hear why Why did she say she was sitting in the exit row? What was her reason? Oh, Penelope, what was your reasoning? Well, my reason is, is um, because I, I think sometimes small, um, you know, s- small acts, actions can have a huge impact. So the action of sitting in the exit row is to get the reminder that when you sign up to sit in an exit row, you're, you're taking on a responsibility. Um, um, and part of that responsibility is, and, and part of the, the protocol is, um, you agree that if there's an emergency um, and the oxygen masks come down, that you have to put on your oxygen mask first. You have to care for yourself first before you can actually help in that role of being in the exit row um, so you can help others that may need it. But if you don't, so it's a gentle reminder you know, it's a, it's a small thing. It's that small reminder that every time you're on the plane, if you select the exit row, you get that reminder from the flight, flight attendant during the announcements to put on your oxygen mask first. Um, but it's, to me, it, for, for me, it does have a big impact because I think a lot of the times I forget um, that part of self-care is taking care of myself so that I can care for other people, putting myself first. So that's what, you know, the exit is more of just a sort of a metaphor um, for, um, you know, making self-care really a daily, a daily routine, a daily ritual. But it's a reminder sitting in that exit row. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So we are down to five minutes. Was it five minutes or are we off at 9.30 instead of? Is it 15 minutes? What are we on? 9:20 or 9:30? Yeah, we've got, we've got, we've got, yeah, we've got 14 minutes. Um, this has been a great show, you guys. I feel like I've monopolized it. So, Eugenia, Doctor Nancy, I want to say thank, thank you for um, talking with me through this topic and an issue of going back to the people and places um, where we were harmed as children. Um, and everything that goes along with that. Um, I've learned. Well, Erin, yeah. Absolutely, Absolutely. you're welcome. Um, I, I, I'm I appreciative to um, being a part, and you, you never know, right? I just happen to ask, um, and you never know what um, you may have, you know, been assigned to do on any given moment. So, I'm just 
grateful that the more I share my story, the more healed I become. Um, and it, it really is a form of becoming more and more empowered because I was silent for so long and um, I'm not silent anymore. My voice is important. You know, my voice is valuable. My voice is needed. And every time I open up my mouth to share another layer or another piece of me, I am I'm giving power back to myself. And even if I were to even use like something to, to mirror or, or, or kind of relate to that childhood, I'm giving power to that little girl because she is actually growing up in me. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we are one and the same, you know? So every time I, I speak, I'm letting her know it's okay now. You know what I mean? I'm your voice now. I'm your voice today. And um, it, it, there is there is something very powerful in being able to empower who you were so that the maturation will continue to happen um, for you. And and when you open your eyes, some, some uh, doctor, doctor Nance, you can help me with this. I've heard some um, therapists and some uh, um, doctors say, you know, to open your eyes when you're telling your story because you need to see you're not there anymore. You're not that little girl anymore. You're not in that space anymore. And some people, when they close their eyes, they're reliving the moment, but they see everything about who they were 20, 10 years ago, but they don't realize, shake yourself, you're not there anymore. Yes, the pain is still real. The senses of those experiences are real, but that moment you are no longer there. You survived that. So, you know, this is just that voice that I have today is reminding me I'm not a silent little girl anymore. I'm a grown mm-hmm. woman that that desires to help other young people and other women and other whomever. That's why I do prison ministry, to remind them, no, you may be in this situation, but this doesn't define you. You may be going through this hurdle or this circumstance, but it doesn't define you. What defines you is your ability to get up and your ability to be empowered through your pain to see that you this all happened for a reason. And and it's a hard thing to accept, but it's necessary because you're still here for a purpose. So tap into whatever that is and find your strength in that. And that was good because you're right. And I wrote down today you're empowered. Um, and that little girl now today is empowered. You're not that victim, right? Um, when we close our eyes, it's easy to visualize. When you when your eyes are open, it's a little harder. For me, when um when I was speaking earlier about the rooms and the house and the things that happened in that house, um I had my eyes open. I could I could see everything, but when I close my eyes, I see it even more for some reason, right? Because I'm I'm not distracted by the images that are in front of me right now. Um. But when I close my eyes, I see more in depth those things, like if I'm there. But when I open my eyes, I'm not there. I can just, it's just a thought or a remembering. Closing my eyes, it brings me in the room. It brings me in the place. So it's so important, like you said, to open your eyes and see that you're not there anymore. That's so powerful. Because if you close your eyes and think about it, you put yourself in that room. It's scary. It's stressful. It brings your anxiety, your blood pressure, everything goes up your guard because when you close your eyes you, you literally are could be in the room but opening your eyes really telling your story and seeing 
You're you're an empowered woman today. You're not that little girl today. You're you're standing up for that little girl, and you are in control, and you're not there today. Yeah, you know, I've never I've never heard of that delineation. Oh, I'm sorry, Eugenia. I think that was Eugenia. I cut off. I apologize. No, you're fine. You're fine. So it was me. It was me. I was just saying, Eugenia, you did a good job. That was a good reminder. I've heard you say it before, and you know, and that's true. You're you open your eyes. You're not there anymore. That that is powerful, and I never delineated the, the two, or even heard of of um, that suggestion to keep the eyes open. And so I just took notes on that, and I'm I'm going to try that because I think every time I've recalled my story, I either close them or they're very. I have a soft gaze down to where they're almost closed. I've noticed that I do that, so I'm gonna. I might even just look at the mirror, look in the mirror at myself as an adult. So thank yeah, you. Empowered, man. Empowered. You're empowered today. You're in power. <laughs> you're empowered and you're in power. Empowered, in power. Bowels matter. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was, you know, I was a little, not, I wasn't concerned, but, of course, whenever we have a topic show and we choose a topic, um, you know, you hope to have some, a robust conversation and wow tonight uh, I feel it was a phenomenal show and Dr. Nancy um, on my host team tonight thank you I love um, I just love doing the shows with you um, so much I learn so much every time um, we're together um, on um, on Stop Child Abuse Now Scan um, shows and I just tonight was no exception and Eugenia I I, I think we've been on before because it wasn't your name so much but your voice that I recognize um, and I, I really appreciate you and I'm so grateful that you called in because um, as this show is archived and recorded there are going to be many to listen and learn from um, what was shared tonight and so I just I really wish to thank you both so much. And Thank if anybody you. has Thank any you other... for allowing me to be a part. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. And we just have a few minutes left. So Dr. Nancy or Eugenia, if you have any other anything else you wish to add, I'll um I'll shut my mouth right now so you can you can share any anything. Um parting parting remarks. No, we need that. I just wanted to say, well, I wanted to say um Thank you, Eugenia, for calling in today. Um, I'm, I'm just honored that you were able to be a part of the show tonight. Hopefully we get you on one of the shows to interview you because I know you have a very powerful testimony and so much to bring to the table. This was just scratching a little bit of the surface. Um, but mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll have you back on to, uh, on one of the shows and actually do a, a full interview and really hear your testimony, which is so powerful. Honored to be in the room with both of you ladies. Um, it's always an honor. I always learn because every time I'm, I'm every time I'm around you all, I get something back, and so I love that exchange of 
information and wisdom and just and testimony. You know, because because both of your testimonies are powerful. All of our testimonies are powerful. So I'm just honored mm-hmm. to be in the wall. You guys are wonderful, beautiful queens, and it's always an honor to serve with y'all. There you go. Yes, thank you. Oh, thank you both. Well, this has been scan number 3,288, and after the show's over in about a half an hour, it will be uploaded to our show archives where uh, anyone can listen to the show um, again um, to hear about our discussion tonight about the question was revisiting the, the people or the locations that the maltreatment, the abuse took place in your childhood. So, again, Dr. Nancy, just thank you so much for being on my host team this evening, Eugenia. Thank you so much for calling in. And if or when you do come on to share your own story, I want to know because I'm going to be on the panel supporting you and asking you questions. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be a part. This was awesome. Thank you for joining. Yes, thank you for joining. It's our privilege to have you on. Thank you for joining us for short notice. We appreciate you. Love you. Thank, thank you, you so much. Yes, All righty. Yes. Have an amazing night. Good night. Good night. Well, as I always say as we close the show, uh, uh, there are enough adult eyes and ears on this planet to keep every single one of our children safe. So if you see something, you hear something, please say something, do something. It is our, the adults, our moral responsibility to keep our children safe. So thank you and good night. Love Talk Radio.